Okay, there we go. Good, good. If you would, turn your Bibles to Mark, the 12th chapter. Now, I'm going to make an assumption here. And the assumption is that you like and want to keep your job. Okay? Now, if that's not a fair assessment or an assumption, then I want you to pretend that you like, or let's put yourself in a fantasy. Let's say you have the job you want and you want to keep it, okay? So for some of you, just be in reality. The rest of you live in Disney World and just pretend. So here you are. You have a job. You love the job. You want to keep the job. And so your employer says, uh, Mr. Miss, this is important. I want you to do this. Now, when he says this is important, what does that do to you, assuming you want your job? All right, all of a sudden, uh, the attention goes up. The focus gets a little narrower, and you realize, wow, I need to have a set of priorities here. Whatever I'm to do, I better make sure I do what he said is important. Because somehow if I do everything else and don't do what he says is important, he or she says is important, what's going to happen? Goodbye, right? So, you understand that. The idea of important says focus, prioritize. Ah, but now what if he or she comes to you and says... This is the most important thing you are to do. You know what? All of a sudden, all of the important things that maybe he or she had said to do are important and they're a priority. But what happens when he says most important? It's like, boom, number one. I make sure, in whatever I'm doing in my job, I better make sure that I have the most important thing done, and then I'll go to the important, and then I'll go to the mundane, right? And when you do that, you keep your job. And we understand that. So why does an employer, or anyone for that matter, say important or most important? Because somehow when they start introducing terms like that, they're talking about the general purpose of their business or whatever the discussion is. When something's important, all of a sudden it affects more than just that one item, right? There are certain ramifications. When something is the most important, that's almost like a linchpin. That's almost like the hub of a wheel. You take that out, all the things start coming. So that's why we use these terms, this is most important. I don't care what happens in your day. I don't care. Most important. This has to happen. Jesus was confronted with this. It happened in Mark 12. And Jesus had just finished speaking to a group of the Sadducees about marriage. And they were trying to trick him and came him up with this um, scenario. And he answers them. And then notice what happens right after that in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, you know what he's asking Jesus? He's not just asking Jesus, what are important things to do? Jesus, what is the most important commandment? 
Listen to what God says. The employer of life. Okay? Of all the things that are good, of all the things that are important, how does God answer most important? How does God answer, if you miss this, you know what? Nothing else is really going to matter. Because this is the linchpin that holds it all together. You and I cannot miss this. So how does God answer this? Let's see. Verse 29. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. All of the commandments are good and they give life. Most important. Because if you don't do this, all the other commandments, what meaning do they have? Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. But to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbors yourself is more important than all burnt offerings. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, God said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Most important one of all. First of all, think about this. What is a commandment? Well, a commandment is a, is a commandment. <laughs> a commandment is do this or don't do that. Yeah, yeah, but I want you to think a little bit more. What is a commandment? Why would God give commandments? Well, because God wants to interfere with our lives, right? Is that why he does it? No. What is a commandment? A commandment is a doorway. It's a doorway into the way of God. That is what a commandment is. Alright? We live the way of man. We live the way of the world. How do we get into the way of God? A commandment. Do this or don't do that. That's the doorway. That's how you step in the way of God. What is the way of God? Everything you were created to be. How you were created to live. But it is a relationship. You have your choice. I have my choice. We can choose to go the commandment or not. We always think commandment, oh, that's impressive. Obedience is impressive. No, obedience is opportunity. It's opportunity, but it's a choice. Do you want to live in the way of God or you want to live in the way of man? It's your choice. God appeals. God pleads. God sacrifices. But bottom line, you and I decide. Will I live in the way of God, which is the way of life, of forgiveness, of salvation, of empowerment, of being everything I was created for? Or am I going to live in the way of man? Which is judgment without hope, just awaiting the inevitability. That's what a commandment is. And so throughout the scriptures, as God revealed to us, he's given us commandments. He's given us opportunities. He's given us doorways into his way, into his life. And he does that to give us a chance and an opportunity. And so we always have this. But the most important one of all, the one that if somehow we step through this doorway, all of the others like dominoes. You step through this doorway, boop, you knock that one domino down. What happens? All the other little things that, you know, the commands and all that just automatically flow in. Think about that in a family, in a relationship. 
in relationships when you don't like someone, but you do the right thing, what's the, I mean, you know, it's good, do the right thing, but the only thing that's driving you is how it looks on you. See, I'm a good person, I'm this, that, and the other. But if you love the person, all of a sudden, doing the right things for them just kind of comes natural, right? It's a domino effect. I love you. Wow, now I'm considerate. I'm being kind. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But if I don't love you, if I love me, then how can you benefit me? Maybe you're a badge, a merit badge for me. Maybe you're to reflect what a great person I am. And I'll use you to do that. You see, love in relationships is a linchpin. It ensures everything else will get done. Without love, all of a sudden, man, it's spinning plate, and it's all about me. And how my service to you will enhance how I am. Wow, Sheridan's a wonderful guy. Right? The most important one. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now what we're going to do, this is the beginning. This is an introduction to what we're going to do through May. In February, we're going to ask, what does it mean to love God with all my heart? And we'll talk about that. And then in March, what does it mean to love God with all my soul? And then in April, what does it mean to love God with all my mind? And in May, what does it mean to love God with all of my strength? And hopefully, as we're going on this journey, we're going to understand this doorway. We're going to understand this if you don't, you know, this is the all-important thing. I am to love God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, and all my strength. And you know what? In one sense, that makes perfect sense to us, doesn't it? Because love is not love unless it's complete and entire, right? Anything that gets all of a sudden categorized. You know, look, I bought dinner for you. I love you. That shows. Well, that can show, but what if I bought dinner for someone, but I've been gossiping about them? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, I buy dinner for Frank. I love Frank. He's great. Then I talk to Eric. Frank's a rah, 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 rah. Now, Frank's thinking, wow, Sheridan loves me. He cares. He's a friend. Frank's going, wow, Sheridan doesn't care about But So what's the truth? The truth is, it is not love until I buy the dinner and say, Frank's a great guy, man. What can we do to encourage them? Now, that's real love, right? It's an entirety thing. So when God says, love me, what's the greatest of all? Love me with, what, just give your heart, let your mind flap in the breeze. Guess what? The heart's not going to be there. It's just a matter of time. Uh, let me try and I'll love you with all my strength. I'll come to every activity. I'll do this, that, and the other. But we give our heart to everything else. So what does he say? Love the Lord your God. Okay, I'll love you, Lord. No. Heart, soul, mind, strength. Sheridan, if you miss that, everything else is ludicrous. Everything. I can give my money to the poor and be known as a great philanthropist. But guess what? If I don't have love, it is what? 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, right? 1 Corinthians 13 also says, I can have the eloquence of angels and... Speak, and I can share and do all this, but if I do not have love, I'm a resounding gong. Clanging cymbal. Says, I could give my body to the flames. I'll die for the cause of Christ. 
But why do I do it? So that I can have a great reputation. We're all going to die. It's how you go out. Man, I want people to remember me. And that's why Paul says, you do that without love, you accomplish nothing. All of these things, you cannot compartmentalize love. And so what does it mean for us to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? That's what we're going to be talking about. But let's do baby steps. Before we can do all of that, how in the world can I even start loving? I don't know about you, but you know, someone tells me, Sheridan, you need to love someone. Do this, that, and the other. It's like, good idea. Love is great. I believe what the Beatles said. All you need is love. I'm all for that. But that doesn't mean I start loving, does it? Something's got to mm, help me start loving. What does that? Luke 7. Let's look there. Let's see if we can learn a lesson from this woman that teaches us how to start loving. Luke, the 7th chapter. Jesus goes to a dinner party. And a very prominent man, a Pharisee. Now the uh, custom is whenever someone would come, this is a sign of respect. And especially a rabbi. But anyone, they come into your house, you kind of touch their shoulder, give them a kiss on the cheek as a greeting, and then have their, wa their feet washed. Alright, because they've been out there in the dirty, sandy, you know, Palestine area. And so, they, you know, that's just customary thing. This guy doesn't do that for Jesus. You see, he's not really respecting. He's looking to trap right here. But he invites him. Jesus is the, is the big news. So let's get him over to the house. And let's see if we can set something up here. Verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, they said, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, for she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said, Now keep in mind, back then, the table's here, you recline on your elbow and you eat, so your feet are behind you. Jesus is talking to Simon, he turns back and looks at the woman there, bathing his feet in her tears, wiping his feet, putting the perfume on. And look what he says. Verse 44. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. 
But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. One person experienced peace that day. The peace that comes from the love of God, that's the prostitute. That's the immoral woman. When, when they say she is a sinner back in those days, that's what they're talking about. No telling how many maybe in that dinner party had even solicited her favors. All right? He says, you're fake. Go in peace. Simon was not in peace. Simon was awaiting, facing God. That's all he had. Everything else he was going to do in his life is a distraction to the inevitable that was coming. How could this woman love forgiveness, gratitude? If you find yourself at times, you know, okay, I've got to love the Lord my God with all of my heart. And but you know something, quite frankly, it's, it's hard. It's, it's not as easy as loving my kids or loving my wife or husband or something because I see them and they do all of this. So what do I do? Where do I start? What do I do? Go back. What are you grateful for? Gratitude is the key to melting your heart and opening it up so that you love when you remember what God has done for you and is doing for you. That is what softens your heart. That is what pulls out this commitment. That is what causes you to quit being so apprehensive and tentative in your following of the Lord. That is what says, yes, I will follow you. Where you don't get caught up in the costs of following. You think, hey, amen, I got to, you know, I'll pay that cost. I don't care. Because you are so excited about what God has done for you. Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. Let me take us back and remember what's been done for us. Remember what is being done for us. Ephesians 2. You can go, there's so many passages, but look at this. And think about this when it comes to gratitude. <clears throat> if we don't understand this, we won't love. And everything that we talk about, hey, love God with all your heart. Let's put it on a Hallmark card. It won't make a difference for us. But if we get in touch to what God has done for me, if our hearts start being overflowing in gratitude, then we're going to be with our sister way back then. <laughs> Man, we wipe his feet. We're just so happy. We are so thankful. We'll do anything. She didn't care about what people thought. She didn't care about the cost. She didn't care about the effort. She didn't care. Do you know what you need to do to overcome fear? Well, you need to get courage. Ah, that won't do it. You know what really does it? Love. Love is what overcomes any fear or doubt or anything. So think of what God has done for you. Listen to this. Verse 1, Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. At one time we were dead in our transgressions. Let me tell you guys, as a Christian, a core belief of Christian is the fact that we are saved through Jesus Christ. What are we saved from? We've talked about this before. We're saved from the wrath of God. Now that's not a topic that our culture likes to talk about. They, that offends people so deeply. Well, God ought to be loving. God ought to be do that. You know what? You can whine and pitch any hissy fit all you want. won't change the truth. The truth is, God created all things. The truth is, his creation went off the rails and sinned. And that incurred the judgment of God, the wrath of God. The truth is, God took the initiative and did something about that. And gave people a way out. But the truth is, if they don't take that way out, all they have looking for is dead man walking. They are dead in their transgressions. You know, that's a term that used to be used, I don't know if it still is, in prisons. As the condemned prisoner going toward the either the electric chair or the uh, uh, lethal injection, they're walking. And what the guards would call out, dead man walking. Dead man. Now what are you talking about? The guy's alive. Take his pulse. He's all. This guy has no hope. There is nothing this guy can look forward to. There's no hope. And that's what Paul's saying. Dead in our transgression. Hey, you know what? Get busy. I mean, have your relationships. Do your job. Do Have fun. All that. No hope. None of that assuages the judgment of God. None of that. And the thing is, is that God knows everything. We cannot hide. So, here we are. We are stuck. We are without hope. You know, I, I often hear people joke, you know, well, I don't care, you know, I don't need to go to heaven. I'm going to go. I'll be with all my friends anyway. Huh? Friendship comes from God. There is no friendship apart from God. There is no comfort apart from God. There is no feeling of that maybe something will change apart from God. You know, I, I was listening to a, a lecture by Greg Kukul, a really good a, a apologetic um, person. Um, amazing. He was talking about evil and the problem of evil, you know? And he makes a, a, a point, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I like the first two points. He says, you know, evil is something. 
It's something. We don't know really how to describe it, but everyone in the world, you know, atheists accuse Christians, how do you deal with evil? Well, they acknowledge evil is there, you know. We know evil is there. But then the second point he, is, he makes is that evil is no thing. He goes, now, if it's something, but yet how do you say, oh, oops, here, here's a little bit of evil, all right? I found some evil here. You, it's, it's no, we can't really identify, grab hold of it. And the analogy he uses is that of the hole in a donut, right? If I talk about, hey, you see that donut hole, we all know what I'm talking about. But I say, now, give me the donut hole. How do you do that? So what is the donut hole? It's a place that is void of donut. What is evil? It is that which is void of God. God created us to love. What is evil? When we are void of that love of God through our actions or our deed. It's a, it's a, it's a lack. It's an absence. And so people go, yeah, God condemns me. I'll be with all my friends. No, you won't. No, you won't. Because everything you hope, that camaraderie, that joking, that whatever with your friends, it's not there. It's a lack of God. I was without hope. We try and assuage it. Maybe if I do more good things than bad things, it won't help you at all. God the Almighty, the perfect judge of all. You mess up one time, judgment. Because he's not going to let a little bit sliver of rebellion in his new creation. That's not going to happen. Okay? So you can mess up a lot, you can mess up a little bit. Dead man walking. Notice what it says though. But God. See, we were enslaved. We were going rebellious. We were like this. We were without hope. But God. But God. Not but Sheridan decided to get his life right. I can't get my life right good enough to get out of the wrath of God. Only God can give me the salvation and redeem me from that. To where I, I'm, I'm a live man walking. It doesn't matter what happens to me in this life. I'm going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Why? But God did something. He's rich in mercy. And he did it. Why? Because of his grace. He's offered it to you. You're the one that has to decide to accept it. I'm the one that has to decide to accept it. That grace was supposed to make me say, man, thank you. That's amazing. I have all to look hope forward to. We get our hopes locked in this, this life right here. Guess what? We'll go down with this world. We keep our hope focused on God himself. And we will be able to navigate no matter what. Because Jesus said, follow me. Brothers, sisters, you need to go back and remember from what you've been saved. You need to remember that anything you try to do on your own power to alter that can't be done. It is hopeless. You need to remember, but God, who is rich in mercy, came in and saved you. Not because of good things you did. You didn't get your life right enough to now he has to do it. No. He in his mercy. And you know what he gave you? His gift? Commandments. To enjoy his way. To begin to live his life. Those commandments. And you know what? Even if you mess up, 
He's got commandments there. You open that door, that's how you fix it. Isn't that nice when you buy a new car, they give you a jack and seal it and stuff like that with the extra tire? Would you like to get a new car and you have none of that and you go driving on Staten Island streets? <laughs> Boom! You know? And you get out like and this will be fixed and you're looking, where's the jack? Where's the tire? They're supposed to put it in there. Why? Just to let you know if something bad happens, we can fix this thing. Don't worry. There are commandments in there. What happens when I mess up? What happens when I try? What happens? Oh, don't worry. You get to confess it and come into the light. You get to repent. Wow, there are commandments. He's put the repair kit there too. The only way I cannot be in the way of God is for me to not choose to be in the way of God. For me to say, the most important one, maybe I'll get around to it. Yeah, then you won't be in the way of God. Or the most important command, what does this mean? I need to do it. Let me remember what I've been saved from and let me humble myself and not get prideful but say, God, I just want to be with you. That's all I want. Totally be with you. That's good. We can do that. But how do you sustain that? One more passage. Let's look over here in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter. And look here at verse 8. <clears throat> For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. We can be grateful at any time. We can stop and think of all we've been saved from. Pray, God, just soften my heart. Let me just see all I've been done. But then, you know, life happens. Things come at us. Disappointments. Bad things. Disease. Economic hardships. Friends dying. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. The uh, brother we prayed for, and please keep praying, Kevin Maines. I know him. He's an evangelist there in L.A. He just collapsed. He's younger than I am. Collapsed yesterday with a heart attack. And now they're trying to do surgery on him this morning to do that. Young guy. Young guy. Do you know what? I doubt Friday Kevin was saying, you know, this weekend is going to go a lot different than I thought. Let me make some preparations. Sometimes someone has the opportunity to do that. Most of the time we don't. Wow, you know what? I think I'm going to get my life. I'm going to none of that's guaranteed. So how do we stay grateful when all this stuff is hitting us? What did Peter say here? He says, if you possess these in increasing measure, it will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, but if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and, blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. If we don't have this, what is he talking about? Now let's go back to verse 3 and let's read what Peter is saying. If you don't have this, you know what's going to happen? You're going to end up forgetting. And when you forget, 
you're not going to be loving. And when you're not loving, you don't care about the first command, the greatest commandment, the most important commandment. And when you don't care about the most important commandment, you're going to be somewhere outside of the way of God. That's the trajectory that that takes. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Let's hold off there. You've been given everything. Every, man, I don't know if I can really live the way God... I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. You have everything. I have everything. Our problem's not that we're not equipped. I have it. You have it. We're going to be... And then the very great and precious promises. The ability to let you know this is the way things will be even though I don't see it. Because God has said. And he navigates us through the darkness. And they allow us to what? Participate in the divine nature. The power to change your heart and my heart doesn't come from us. Doesn't come from self-help. It comes from participating in the divine nature. God himself changes us. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them... He is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past signs. Following Jesus is an active participa participatory uh, a sport, lifestyle. Okay? I follow him. So what do I do? I add to my faith goodness and goodness knowledge and knowledge self-control. I, I keep going all the way up to love. And then what do I do? Am I perfect? No, I'm not perfect. Got a ways to go. Ah, let me go back and now let's add to more faith and more Goodness, and more knowledge, and more self-control, and more godliness, and more perseverance, and more. And once I get there, what am I going to do? Let's go back and do some more. My faith will grow and grow. See, if you are not growing, if you're not involved in the experience of God moving and growing in your life, guess what? You forget. You become nearsighted, which is, life is all about today and everything bad's going to happen. And blind to reality. And then you hear something like, the most important command is love God. I thought, yeah, 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 I'm sure it is. But I'm just not there. What happened? What happened? Be grateful. Go back. Remember. Go back through the sinless. And remember the hopelessness with which those things just dominated your life. And then say, but God. <laughs> Not but I, no, but God did, delivered me. Let them, and then get busy growing. Get busy, you've been equipped by the power of God's spirit. You could get busy. What do you need to do to add to your faith and to add that? And as you grow, you keep growing. And, keep, and you know what happens? You are now in this experience. 
You experience the way of God. And as you experience the way of God, that creates more things to be grateful for. And so you get more grateful, so you get more loving. And then you experience more, and you get even more grateful, and more, and you experience more, and more grateful, and it just feeds on itself. And all of a sudden, your life is all about, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The most important commandment is, I will love the Lord my God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, and all of my strength. That is what my life is all about. That is what your life is all about. That is the life of a Christian. Be praying for what we're going to be studying. Because I want us to abide. I want this stuff to fill our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our strength as we give ourselves to the Lord.